forgot that a shindig is back, baby. <laughs> Submissions are officially open for Shindig 2022. 18 bands enter, only one will win. Enter to experience a moment of connectedness before severing that bond in a ruthless bid to reign supreme in a local and independently run music competition. <laughs> All genres, ages, and styles are encouraged to submit. Go to chr.ca to submit and for all the info. A Tribe Called Red is the Hallucination with their new record, One More Saturday Night, featuring Javier Mighty, Tanya Tagak, and more out now. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. I have no idea what that means. Somebody just asked me to say this. Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sarah Unju, and I, ha- I am not alone in the studio today. I have Sheila with me. Hello. And Ruby. Hi. And I'm so excited. We have a lovely show for you today. So just a quick overview, we're going to start with Lua's interview and review, and then we're going to go into either Sheila's review or Alex's review, really depends on our moods, (laughs) we'll see what we want to do, and after that, uh, we have an, an interview that Alex did with Curtis Andrews. And we have some shout-outs as well. So I think what we're going to do right now is... I think we'll probably start with the review and the interview that um, Lua did. (laughs) And afterwards, we'll come back and take it from there. You know, I don't plan much in life. I don't plan much in radio. (laughs) The best kind of show. (laughs) (laughs) Also, we will go into a quick Adam PSA break after the review and interview. As always, they're, as I said, really quick. So don't go anywhere and enjoy. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Lua, and I'm here with Reed Shire, the curator of the Polygon Gallery's newest exhibit. Hello, Reed. How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So... Uh, I'd love to have you introduce a little bit more about what this exhibit is. Sure. So, uh, Stephen Shearer, a solo exhibition um, featuring a survey of work by um, an artist who has lived and worked here for a number of decades and whom we have not really had a chance to see much of. Um, Stephen has not shown in his hometown in over a decade. Um, And has certainly started to achieve a lot of international recognition um, over the last number of years. And it was an opportunity for us here at the Polygon um, to give hometown audiences a chance to see what he's been up to. 
Yeah. And it's, I think it's a really cool combination of different elements from his, you know, journey as an artist. And the way you talk about uh, his work is just lovely. I love hearing you talk because you sound so passionate about a lot of his work. And so I was curious, like, why do you think it was important to bring this exhibition to the Polygon now? Well, as I framed it um, earlier, you know, I guess one of the big questions is uh, for a gallery that's whose mandate is photography, film, and video, you know, why are we showing an artist whose work cuts across many, many disciplines and whose primary focus right now has been painting? So, you know, one of the explanations is that, you know, a lot of Stephen's practice emerges out of an interest in photography out of a massive archive of found photography that he's been collecting ever since he graduated from Emily Carr in the early 90s, um, and which he has compiled into these anthologies of typologies, of types of images, I should say, um, bound in these, uh, in these books that are on display here at the gallery, images that now are comprised over 72,000 individual um, found works. Um, they show a lot of his many, many eclectic interests, but um, are really foundational to the way that he's developed work in other mediums as well, including painting, drawing, uh, photolaminate works, uh, and in sculpture. Um, so the question really was like, how does photography inform an artist? And that was you know, one of a number of themes, but one that we felt was particularly pertinent to um, why the gallery wanted to show him right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting approach. And I love the Polygon exhibits. I think they're always so cool and different. And it's fascinating to see this type of mixture of work. I, I really enjoyed it. I was really curious about like the actual method of display. So you have one wall that is almost entirely covered in different print pieces. And then all the other walls are fairly empty comparatively. And I was curious, like, why approach it in a way of creating one big open space with these different volumes of images on each wall? Well, the multi-panel work, um, I think, needs to be considered as, you know, as a single work that was, um, Stephen, very specifically designed for that wall. And he had an enormous hand in designing the exhibition, designing where the walls went. And has spent, you know, uh, a long time thinking about the composition of that one in particular. So he uh, modeled it in SketchUp and designed where each work would go. And I think one needs to look at that almost, even though it's made up of 33 individual works, as a unit. So sometimes those units take up the whole work or the whole wall. And in other cases, individual works are given, you know, the necessary space to breathe. So I think it's a beautifully balanced exhibition, and I'm grateful for all the work that he put into it. Um, it was extensive and ongoing, and um, I think you know provides you know a kind of really successful rhythm of walking through his many many different uh, types of practice. And there's also a sculptural work in this exhibit, one that's very very big and mm -hmm. one that's quite small. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, what do you think? putting them both into the exhibits since they are fairly similar brings to the table. Well, again, you know, what is interesting about that is the way that that sculpture emerged out of a found photograph. And you can see that photograph um, in the books, in the archive books in the back room. Um, you know, it was a sculpture, you know, made by a forgotten artist as a kind of playground uh, work for kids and Stephen was interested in it and um, developed his thinking about it as a standalone object, um, first with this beautiful little copper sculpture and then more ambitiously as this giant PVC um, uh, work that's owned by the National Gallery. So by putting that all together into the exhibition, we get to see his process of thinking through making an artwork. And I think that's also a really important facet of the exhibition is like, all the different types of, of drawing and sometimes even just ephemeral scribbles and doodles up to these enormously detailed, resolved paint, paintings. 
Yeah. And I think uh, something that she brought up before, and I think it's really fascinating, is that a lot of his work deals with, like, are these images art? Or, like, what? how do we assign value to art? And mm -hmm. I think um, is a really interesting exploration of that, but also of semiotics mm -hmm. and, like, the study of symbols and all of that. And I was curious if he could elaborate a little bit more on that, on um, his explorations on art images as art. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd point to the work in the stairwell landing. I mean, there's a, another a multi-panel work that shows, uh, you know, these kind of craft objects, um, macrame, string art. Um, you know, and I think, you know, a, a lot of those images might, you know, be assigned a kind of date in the '60s or '70s or early '80s. Um, they they might be thought of if you were to see them in a book or a craft manual as something that you know are somewhat proletarian or everyday. You know, um, and there's a kind of hierarchy that um, is normally assigned. Luckily, I think those things are breaking down. Um, gratefully, I think those those hierarchies are breaking down. But I think Stephen is really interested in how those different things are assigned value and in making them heroic, making them big, making them into something that, that evokes uh, an abstract painting. You know, where is value? What is value? And I think those are embedded questions in, in his practice. They're not. It's not ironic what he's doing. It's it's really an exploration of the semiotics of value, as you say. And so you've just listened to an interview with Reed Shire, the curator of the Polygon for the newest exhibit called Stephen Shearer that is running from November 20th to February 13th at the Polygon Gallery in North Vancouver. If you've never been to the Polygon Gallery, it is right at the Lonsdale Quay. It's a beautiful, beautiful gallery. Entrance is by donation. And it's honestly just a lovely time and you should definitely check it out. But back to this exhibit, um, a lot of Shearer's work is based on found images and that creates a really, really interesting uh, narrative quality to his work. I don't know if it's intended a narrative quality, but I find it has a narrative quality because with every image we see, we tend to try to interpret it, create an idea around it. But because these are all images that are found in different places from different people, picturing different people as well, um, I, at least the sensation I had, was like, oh, I am getting to experience a hundred different lifetimes. In every single image, I am seeing a glimpse into the life of someone that took this picture. If you're interested in the study of semiotics, which is the study of symbols, this is an incredible exhibit to just go in and try to figure out, like, why do we interpret, why do we take away certain stories from these images? What are the symbols present in these images that make me understand them in a certain way? Uh, one example is that um, in the back mural, which takes up the entire wall with over 30 images on that mural alone. It's a beautiful mural. It's All the images are uh, printed on a uh, very bright colored um, canvases, but the images themselves are simply not even black and white, just like black on color. And in that, in that panel alone, there are some images. One of them is a potential boy band in the 60s of some sort. And just staring at that image in particular, I was like, wow, like this could have been a band that disbanded and doesn't exist anymore. This could just be a group of friends that is playing around and having fun. Um, you create these stories to attach to these images. And I think that is part of the interesting aspect of, of Shearer's work. There are also multiple collages where a number of different pieces of images are put together, both large-scale and very small-scale collages. The large-scale collages are really larger than life, and they are kind of a jumble versus the smaller-scale ones. He takes on 
images without cropping them just reorders them and puts them together in a certain way that kind of allows you to see certain patterns within images that I thought was really beautiful. Uh, for example, one of the pieces is Christmas trees, but turned upside down, where basically the Christmas tree stops being a Christmas tree and becomes just this geometric symbol uh, that you're looking at. It doesn't, we take away some of the symbol of the Christmas tree. And again, part of that um, work with with the study of symbols. But back to what is unusual to the polygon is there are a number of drawings and paintings in exhibit. Some of them are very large and some of them are so small that the frame of the works is much, much bigger than the image themselves. I really enjoy these really small scale works because you usually don't get to see them very often outside of a, you know, a studio space or knowing an artist personally. And I think it gives glimpses into how art can be slightly unfinished. Art can be a burst. It can be really thought of and really elaborated and really discussed and, you know, all of those things. But it can be a burst. It can be a small thing that is produced and it doesn't have less of a value as art. And finally, I would like to talk about my favorite piece in the entire exhibit. It's called The Potter. It is a large-ish painting. It's about two meters by one and a half, maybe. Um, and it depicts this man of undefined age who is creating these pots. He's a potter. And he's depicted in his studio. And... The use of color and form is so distinct and contrasting. That was just fascinating. I could sit down and stare at that painting all day because it's so, the colors are so bright, so vivid, almost neon. Um, but the form is so precise, so pristine, and just so realistic. And I think it's just a trance of an image. <laughs> like, the potter seems really involved in his work. And as you watch the potter, you become entranced in his work as well. I would love to talk more about this painting. And if you do go to the Polygon and get to see this exhibit, uh, feel free to shoot us at the Arts Report an email or a DM or anything. We'd love to hear your opinion. And that's it for me today. I hope you enjoyed this interview and this review. And you check out this new exhibit at the Polygon Gallery. Uh, have a lovely day. Bye-bye, everyone. Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater, check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. Hey, are you interested in radio? Passionate about gender issues? Want to be an active part of your community? Then join the wave and become part of CITR's Gender Empowerment Collective. We meet every Friday at 2 p.m. and we want your voice. We are all about empowering everyone and giving you the chance to speak your mind. No experience necessary. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or email us at genderempowerment@citr.ca. Hello, we're back. Hi. Um, if you, well, as the PSA said, if you're interested in any of those, Make sure you shoot Randy a, a email. The Gender Empowerment Collective is very cool and you should be a part of it. And we're also very cool. I mean, not to brag, but you should be a part of us too. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, okay. So let's go ahead with our shout out, shall we? So our shout out today goes to Parallel 04, Union Immersed. If you remember, 
I had an interview with Nancy Lee and Kieran Bumber. Um, I don't remember when. It's been a while. And I have a lot of interviews. Um, but we talked about union. Um, and so now they're having Union Immersed. It's a live event at the Roundhouse happening this Sunday, November 28th. And it's being co-produced by Vancouver New Music with Current Symp Symposium and Intermediate Festival. So 10 artists have been working with Nancy Lee and Kieran Bumber to produce a new web XR environments that will be presented live as part of a full day series of performances. If you want more information about it, you can go into the website newmusic.org slash parallel 04 slash and yeah you'll find it so sunday november 28th 11 a.m to 6 p.m it's at the roundhouse you can get your tickets from eventbrite so a little more detail 11 a.m to 12 30 p.m is performance one which is oh boy okay cole how i'm not good at pronouncing things um cold dejarle Tata Kwasan, mm -hmm. Ruby Sink, and Andrea Wong. <laughs> um, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. is Performance 2, Scope, featuring Yi Ying at Keyboards and Aid Wolf. 4 to 6 p.m. is Performance 3, Kimit Sekon, Max Amo, Elena Ho, Hadis, <coughs> oh boy, Hadis Kakanejadi, and Tamar Tabori. I'm not good with names. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> um, Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> the performances are free to attend, but you need to register in advance because, you know, we want to ensure everyone's comfort and safety. So they're also limiting the capa capacity to 50%. So, yeah, you need to, as usual, show your proof of vaccination, your ID, wear a mask. But, I mean... I'm assuming you would all know that. So make sure you check out Parallel 04, Union Immersed. And if you want to know more about Union in general, go give our interview with uh, Nancy Lee and Kieran Bumbar a listen. It was a, it was a pretty good interview. And it's Union is very interesting. So, yeah, I think definitely check it out. Again, November 28th, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Roundhouse. And that's our shout out. So let's get back into our review content. So we have a review live from Sheila right now. Hello, Ooh. Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be reviewing the concert we went to at the Chan Center. So do, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So uh, this sat last Saturday, me and Sarah went to this um, performance at mm -hmm. the Chan Center. Yes. And disclaimer, I do not know how to pronounce the name of the show. Yeah. Oh, see, none of us know how to pronounce any yeah, names. But you know what? <laughs> A for effort, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, it is called Hasalala Denek Salux. Mm -hmm. I, you butchered that. Totally it's so weird being on the that. other side of this. I'm normally the one butchering names and people are just weirdly looking at me. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, I'm on the other side. Totally <laughs> um, it is a performance by Marion Newman and Friends. So Marion Newman is the curator and mezzo-soprano, mm -hmm. uh, along with Melody Courage, who is the soprano. Aitha Tenakun. The tenor mm -hmm. John and Jonathan Adams, the baritone. Mm -hmm. There were also uh, instruments played by Jessica McMahon for the flute and Parmala Atoriwala mm -hmm. for the violin. Beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Beautiful. And Perry Lowe, who played the piano. Okay, yes. I, why am I responding as if I don't know any of this? I was there with I you. I mean, you are the host. So <laughs> Got to play the part. <laughs> yes. And um, so the performance was basically a combination of like separate opera, classical operas, also with elements of indigenous instruments. Mm -hmm. And there were like the works were selected 
were a selection of indigenous composers and European composers. Yes. And most of the performers are indigenous. Mm -hmm. And before we went into the performance, the Chan Center displayed a artwork mm -hmm. by the Rematriate, which mm -hmm. I think is a group of artists um, working together to amplify indigenous voices. And one of them was a plaque, a red plaque that says yours for indigenous sovereignty, mm -hmm. which was really beautiful. I mean, yes. it was huge. So, yeah, if you go to the Chan Center, it's right when you enter to the left, like right across the box office. Mm -hmm. So you can't miss it. And if you want to see it, just go to the Chan Center. It's I think they're still there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it should be. Okay. Yeah, even if it's not, I mean, you get to see the Chan Center. It's not yeah. too bad. <laughs> you can ask them about what's going on lately, if they have any performances coming up. You don't lose anything. I mean, their performances are mostly good. Like, this is my second <laughs> Mostly. <performance>. Mostly good. <laughs> They're all good. She I'm sorry. I take that back. How many, how many performances have you been at the Chan Center? Like, three. And <laughs> <laughs> three is not a good sample size. You no, should know not. this as a psychology student. <laughs> But okay, guys, the place is amazing. Like, the toilets are so clean. <laughs> that is very important. They have very fancy toilets. Right? Yeah. It's important because, like, all the shows we go to to review, not all the toilets are great. Yeah, I'm that's Just saying, true. it's a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We review every single thing. I rate the toilets. <laughs> <to> the toilets. <laughs> also, oh, my God, talking about the washroom for some reason um there was a family so a mother and two children and they were all wearing red they were all matching and then it was very cute and i thought that was very cute and then we sat down and then like the performances performers had reds in their clothes too and i was like oh my god they're matching the performance this is amazing <laughs> i wish i did that that effort yes perfect but yeah so um let's talk about our thoughts on the show i really liked it yeah it was really nice i mean one of the one of the pieces they did like really made me shivered a bit is that the one that the tenor did the samson at dahlia i'm just gonna i'm gonna i think it was the tenor yeah yes which one the word the one with the yellow shirt no i was talking about the piece Oh. Do you remember which piece it was? Samson Adelia. No. <laughs> That's what it's called. That's the piece. Are you sure? Yes, it is. Why are we both so confused? It's it's taken from an opera called Samson and Delilah. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? No, I'm just the confused one. That's fine. <laughs> I named all the performances. Yes. You don't, you know what? Don't mind me. <laughs> it's okay. No, it was really good. Yes. Why? Why do you think that? Well, it was, well, in the beginning, they started with everyone singing mm -hmm. and then everyone playing the, all the instruments were playing. But at yes. this particular one, it was just one single person singing. Yes. And I think there was one instrument. I can't remember which one. Might uh, be, might the, be piano. the piano. Yeah. yeah. Could be the piano. And it was just, I don't know. <laughs> it was, I was blown away. It was, was it the... See, the thing is, I didn't take any notes, unlike Sheila. Maybe I should have, because now <laughs> I don't remember any of the names of the pieces. Um, was it the one where I leaned in and said, I felt like I was going to cry? Yes, that yes, was the one. That, oh, my yeah. God, it was so good. It was so good, <laughs> yeah. right? I legit, when he was singing, like, a part, something, like, woken me. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to cry, oh. but I shouldn't because I have eyeliner on. <laughs> Probably impeccable eyeliner. <laughs> oh, Always. You. That's Sarah's signature. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, my God. Pop up my ego. Please continue. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And also, it was very interesting how the pieces were, like, not every single one of them were... Okay, how do I put this into words? They weren't all the same. They were very different from each other in terms of both... Uh, the composers, as Sheila said, there were both indigenous composers and European composers, and also the piece itself. So, for example, Samson Adelia was a more uh, classical opera where, well, it is taken from an opera mm -hmm. piece. So, 
You I know? mean, they definitely were like pieces of like different things collected yeah. into one to create like this one narrative. Yes. Which was really interesting and beautiful in my opinion. Yeah. And also there was uh do you want to talk about the gongs? <laughs> oh, that was that was interesting. <laughs> so basically, uh just to give you a visual, there are how many four performers, right? Yeah. Um and then the pianist and the flautist. So at one point, all of them left the stage, uh, but the lights didn't go up. So we all were like, oh, okay, it's not the end of the show. I guess they're probably going to come back. Plot twist. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the balcony on two sides of the seat, uh, the stage light up. And there are two, on, two people on each side with gongs. Mm. One big, one small. And for how long? I want to say like a solid 10, 15 minutes. I don't think it was a 10 minute, but it felt like 10 it minutes. It felt like 10 minutes. <laughs> I'd say more like a five minute max. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say five to 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, five to 10. They were caressing the caressing dogs. <laughs> I felt very <laughs> relaxed. Yes, that's oh, very true. It felt like, you know, when you walk into a spa, and there's that music. Oh, yeah. It was something like that. It was, yeah, it was reminiscent of it. Mm-hmm. And I was not expecting that. That's not where I thought it was going. I thought you were going to say it was like loud and disruptive. No, but it no, no. Like it was it really was just nice. Like, like they did that. Yeah, they the were. Phone. See, the audience can't see. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the lizard. So uh, descriptive. Basically, they had the like the stick they played the gong with. And they were rolling it around the gong in like a, a clockwise and an anti-clockwise um, motion. Yeah, basically. And so they weren't like banging on it, which was interesting to say the Can least. Can you imagine if they banged it for 10 minutes? Oh my God. <laughs> I would lose my mind. I would. I would walk out. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, but yeah, after the gongs, though, all of the performers came back. They continued with the opera. Mm-hmm. It was pretty amazing. See, it was really interesting for me personally because I don't really enjoy watching opera um, in itself. So, like, for example, if I wanted to watch Faust, I would probably get bored because opera is not for me. I love theater. I love musical theater. And <laughs> even though musical theater is probably inspired by opera i i don't seem to mm-hmm. enjoy opera much but i really enjoyed this one because there wasn't a like a talking narrative the narrative was more given with the pieces separately and so like the, you take the meaning and then, yeah, yeah and so the the pieces being separate it gave me more of a, a i guess a liberty i guess i don't feel very <laughs> much of a liberty when i'm watching a full-on opera no yeah i I definitely understand that there were also like there i think there were two or three performances during that night of (laughs) of what (laughs) okay give me a word (laughs) um where they you can do it they the one with the poem what was it what huh not interpretive like spoken word what are we trying to say you know Inspire what? oh the improvisation improvisation oh that is the fucking yeah <laughs> there were two there were two um improvisations one of them was at the very end of the show it was the last piece and the other one was more in the middle and so the first one was inspired by a poem mm-hmm. and i think the tenor was reciting the poem i feel like and the other ones were improvising mm-hmm. Im- Im- Improv, improvising, improvising. <laughs> Some people say improved. I prefer improvised, but either works. I just yeah. butcher the pronunciation of both. <laughs> <laughs> improved sounds so informal <laughs> for some yeah. reason. Yeah, I, I, like people use it all the time, but it yeah. but it, it actually bothers me because improvise. Yeah. It sounds like improper grammar. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree so much. I do, however, say, oh, I'm going to an improv show or like, yeah, oh, this is improv. Yeah. Improv is like the act of. Yeah. Of like I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't use it as a verb more as a noun, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> you were talking <laughs> straight away so much. That's what happens when you're with me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you were talking about the improvs? Yeah, I was talking about how some of the performances were also, like, improvs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was and one time where they, like, walked in a circle, I think. Yeah, that was the very last one. Mm-hmm. It was... That one was... See, my dancer brain... That was annoying for me because they didn't have an equal amount of space in between them. Oh. <laughs> and my immediately, like my dancer brain was like, okay, you need to catch up and you need to slow down. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> you need to have equal spaces between you guys. But like, that's not important. <laughs> that's Sarah, not what they it's do. It's an improv. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Yes, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just can't help it. Okay, I've been moon dancing since I was three. It's not something I can turn off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is there anything that you want to add? No. Perfect. So that's that's the review of Sheila. Thank you so much, Sheila. You're welcome. So now we're going to go into a separate review. <laughs> this one is a pre-recorded one by Alex about uh, Farm to Fable. So enjoy, folks. We're going to have a quick ad and PSA break, and we're going to be right back. Hello, CITR listeners. You are back on air with Alex Fester, and I have a super interesting review to do with you today. I will be reviewing Farm to Fable, which is a live stream Zoom performance. So first, what I'm going to do is give you a little bit of insight into what the performance was all about, some information, and then I'll go ahead with my review. So Farm to Fable is a Zoom cooking lesson for the audience turned into a farcical tour de force. Nadine is juggling a lot. Her dream restaurant closed, she broke up with her boyfriend, and moved in with her mother. To get back on her feet, she has pivoted to creating an online cooking show. But what starts as a simple idea soon begins to boil over, as she faces multiple interruptions and challenges. Cook Along with Nadine and is made for Zoom theatrical experience, written and directed by Emil Gladstone, and starring Megan Chinoski. So, this Zoom performance was my first ever Zoom performance, and it was produced by The Clutch, which is a performing arts theater in Vancouver. And a couple things really were fantastic. So, like I said, this was my first Zoom performance, and I didn't really know what to expect. So, for the first five to ten minutes, I was a little unsure of what was going on. But once I understood that it was kind of like a skit in real life through the lens of a cooking show, I really understood it and it was just absolutely fantastic. One of the things that I truly loved was that it was a cooking show and you could actually cook at home alongside the show. So they provided the recipe and all the ingredients so you could do everything at home, no problem, which I thought was really, really interesting and fun. Next, what was really great about a Zoom performance, so you can see the audience engagement in real time. All of the funny jokes, all of the comments you can see in the chat, or you can choose not to see on the flip side if you don't want to. But I personally love to be able to engage with the show and the audience in real time, which was really great. A lot of people were making jokes and responding to each other in the audience, so that made it even more interactive. Secondly, it was super relatable. So Nadine, who's juggling a lot, moved back in with her mother, our restaurant's closed. These are super relatable things, especially during these trying times, right? A lot of us have lost employment. A lot of us have had some mental health crisis. A lot of us have had a lot of time to reflect in our lives and, and make big changes. So we can all relate to that. So I really loved that angle of it. And... I also loved the fact that she interacted with the audience as well. So a couple times she asked for an interesting story, an anecdote, a poem. And for me, the first story was just the best. So she asked this audience member about a fun travel story and he delivered. He mentioned how him and his ex-partner went to Italy and they ate way too much pizza and way too much food. And at the end of the story, he, the line that he used was fantastic. He said, he said, I gained 20 pounds and then lost the guy as they broke up. Someone in the chat wrote, eat, pray, and lose the guy as a, as a play on eat, pray, love. And I just, I thought that was fantastic. I do think, I do think because she made it interactive, she should have maybe warned the audience a little bit more that that would be a thing just because at one point she asked the audience for a poem and um, the audience member that she asked was absolutely not prepared and that kind of uh, probably made the audience member feel a little bit put on the spot but overall uh, this was a super fun experience peppered with jokes anecdotes and a slight midlife crisis from Nadine She played multiple different parts from her mother to her ex-boyfriend to this, like, technical guy. 
um, that ended up being a love match between the mother and this guy, uh, which was, a, you know, a really funny um, addition to the show. And yeah, so the fact that she played every single role within an hour was cooking at the same time. I mean, she really, really did such a good job. And she really and she really was creative in how she made this production, especially over Zoom. I would definitely recommend this production, especially for people who are maybe a little bit nervous about going out into the world, into theaters, or just want to want to be entertained while they're cooking along at home. It was super fun and engaging. And I really liked the creative ways that they incorporated different storylines within the main storyline of Nadine. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities. They are doing this by developing gender-affirming client-centered models of service, ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive healthcare that is equitable and available, and supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and healthcare providers have access to information, resources, and support. Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for trans members of our community. Hello, we're back again. Hi, I hope you enjoyed that review that Alex did of Farm to Fable, which, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was presented by the Colch. The Colch does amazing things. I don't know if you would remember, but I did a review of a Craigslist Cantata. The music was written by Veda Healy. I also interviewed her, and um, she's writing music for. She has written music for another uh show that's going to be presented by the cult again so check out the cult it's it's pretty cool and so before we go into our other stuff i just want to say so sheila and i we have a friend who studies linguistics and we asked him how to pronounce the wonderful name that sheila butchered unfortunately he did not respond in time although he did respond right now so um also wow <laughs> we're getting responses oh from wow, so great. many people but so late do you want to correct yourself right yes. now <laughs> so it is pronounced hasalala danhala perfect see that's what we needed all along thank you chen center ubc thank you so much we appreciate Shout out. You. we love the free tickets and the pronunciation <laughs> fix yes we appreciate and your toilets it. Oh my god, I'm gonna name this episode Toilet. It just feels like you're equating the level of the performance to how clean the The toilets are at the venue. It's an important factor. We need to maintain our integrity. I don't know if people are gonna. You see, that's not exactly what we're doing, but it really sets you off when you go to the washroom and it's dirty and you're like, ah, Mm -hmm. this is not cool. Mm -hmm. And then you're not in the mood for the show. Yeah, but sometimes the grungiest places have the like most that's so true like, that is true art. yeah yes that is very true it's part of the experience exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. peeing standing up as a woman yeah. oh my god oh, yeah gosh. it's so much fun <laughs> um but yeah how about we never talk about uh, the washroom ever again on the show no i, I think, think this should become a show about raiding I mean, it's just like a side thing, you know, just like an extra. The arts collective, the gender collective, the bathroom collective. (laughs) The arts report, toilet edition. Just like the last five minutes of the show is just (laughs) us reading toilet. (laughs) I think that would be a hit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So (laughs) with that, (laughs) I'm going to go into a pre-recorded interview. I think that's the perfect time Mm, to... Yeah. Yes, exactly. Toilets. Pre-recorded interview. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I 
because I think if we keep talking, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> no, I, I think it's only going happen. uphill. I can. <laughs> this is the last day I'm ever going live. And the first day, I'm gonna be forced to do pre-recorded reviews from now on. <laughs> Welcome to radio. <laughs> also, this is Ruby's first time in the studio too. I feel like I'm just giving a wonderful experience to these two people. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. Oh. I'm the first time I'm here, and I'm like. <laughs> monologuing about <laughs> toilets and bathrooms. Yikes. You're not in the collective anymore. <laughs> Pack your knives and leave. I actually um, was a knife salesperson over COVID. <laughs> oh my god. I sold knives over Zoom. Wow. And I made a lot of money. Oh my god. <laughs> where'd, you, where'd you get them? Um, I Well, I worked for a company that like Lots of people think is a pyramid scheme, but it's not. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Good to know. And I, I actually, the knives are such good quality. I don't mm. want to say the name of it on air. Yeah, don't. But, um, but yeah, no, it was like a good job, and uh, well, <laughs> definitely don't want to go back. But it was a good job <laughs> while I had it. <laughs> well, if you ever bought knives from Ruby, this is what she does now. So, <laughs> in case you were wondering, what <laughs> thank your you for your support. She has yeah. moved on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, if you want to buy from me my account's still open so oh my god uh, contact <laughs> great <me>. <laughs> okay more on that at the end of the show <laughs> no i'm kidding we're not getting back to this we're going into an interview okay i think that was enough enjoy welcome back citr listeners you were on air with alex fester and i have a very talented guest to introduce you to today he is a Canadian musician who specializes in South Indian percussion, West African drum and dance, and Mbira. He's an entertainer, academic, and he's here today to tell us about his music and his upcoming show, A Life in Rhythm. Thank you so much for joining me, Curtis Andrews. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. I have a lot of questions for you. You have a PhD. You've traveled the world. You make amazing music. I, how do you find the time? Honestly, you're putting the rest of us to shame. Oh, no. Yes, I do many things, but bear in mind that these things have happened over years. <laughs> so I didn't do all that last year. Uh, <laughs> That's good yes, to hear. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. It takes time. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing the uh, same kind of activities for the last uh, maybe 20 years, I guess. Um, traveling. Uh, traveling to study music, uh, mostly, not traveling just for the sake of traveling. I usually go somewhere to study music and I, uh, you know, get as much as I can from those locations. And if I can connect with people from those musical cultures where I live. Um, and yeah, the PhD was done uh, in 2013 to 2019, basically. And, you know, you basically, as an artist, you juggle things is what you do a lot. It's just, uh, for some period of time, I focus on academics. For some period of time, I focus on uh, production of concerts. For some period of time, I focus on creating, uh, creating, composing. Uh, so it all happens simultaneously, almost. Uh, perhaps I need to find a better way to streamline my uh, time usage. But, uh, you know, I guess I do things and try and make them happen yeah. to my uh, liking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you're you're accomplishing a lot, so I, I feel like you're you have it down, you have it figured out. I, I guess uh, if you look at it, back, if I look backwards on it, maybe it seems like it's not happening. But in the moment, it's always like, oh, what am I doing now? Right. What's <laughs> I next? Need, I need to be doing something. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. Next. I even wrote a piece of music with the title is called "The Present Future," because I was always looking ahead uh, to figure out what was going to come next when I couldn't focus on the moment I was in. So it was like my future was always now, even though now should be now. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, with seeing what's next. But I'd like to start yeah. at the beginning, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up in a small town in Newfoundland, I mean, tiny town, yeah. small island in East Canada, how did yep. you start to get involved in this kind of music? How did that evolve? Uh, well... Growing up there, um, I didn't do a lot of music um, as a child, very little, if any. Um, none of, no one in my family was a musician, uh, like overtly. My mother is a good singer. Uh, she also plays guitar. Um, 
was like a completely self-taught person and they were just at family gatherings sometimes when we go camping with other families and relatives um uh, some people would have a guitar there and they would sing you know newfoundland songs and old country songs and whatnot so none of that interested me really you know at the time i was more interested in, in uh, video games or playing uh, you know my friends and doing the kid stuff um but then uh, I did get interested in hip hop music a lot, like early rap music in like the '87, '88, when I was like 11, maybe 11 or 12. Uh, I got into hip hop rap music, LL Cool J, Run DMC, Public Enemy, all these artists that I would uh, be exposed to through uh, now almost obsolete music station called Much Music. Um, I remember it fondly. <laughs> yes, they used to be focused on music, and now not so much. But um, so they used to have a, a show called Rap City, and Rap City was my window into the rest of the world and what was happening. And I was enamored with this this uh, hip hop rap music. It was, uh, it was the coolest thing. Um, so that got me into listening to music, uh, like buying music. The first music I bought was that kind of music. And I would search out, you know, cassette tapes and I'd go, when I'd go into the bigger city of St. John's, I would go to the record store there and order, you know, different artists that I had heard about through, uh, the rap, from, uh, Rap City. And it was like, you know, gangster rap was being, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was maybe some I should have probably listened to when I was like 12. But anyways, <laughs> I'm all good for it. Uh, but anyway, so I got into music that way and then, through that, I got into other kinds of music that was heavily rhythmic based, a lot of funk music. Uh, one friend uh, who was visiting, uh, one day he gave me a cassette of uh, Bob Marley, and I was like, what's this music? Reggae? Uh, what? So that blew my mind as well. So I did not start getting into that music. So my taste started changing a lot. I got interested in drumming a lot. That's what I was attracted to. Uh, in all of that music, because rhythm is primary in a lot of hip hop and a lot of funk and in reggae, it's, it's it's you know it's a foundational thing and uh, leading thing, even if you will. So that was always my ear. So I never played any music still at this point. Uh, but then I had some friends who used to uh, they used to jam, play rock and roll. I loved rock and roll as well, heavy metal and, and these kind of musics also. Uh, but they used to play and. When the, I used to go and hang out with them and watch them, listen to them, but when they would take a break, I would go and uh, sit at the drum set that my one friend had. And uh, when I sat down, I was able to play, maybe because I just internalized a lot of the rhythms I could hear, but it kind of just made sense. And then I started to play, and I was like, okay, this comes naturally. So then I started gravitating towards that, and then, and then I requested my parents to buy me a drum set one Christmas. And uh, from then, uh, things just took a different turn, for sure. That became my my, my, you know, my passion and my identity. Yeah, that's how I got started in music, I guess you could say. Wow. Um, I'm sure your parents loved having to, uh, buying you a drum set. <laughs> my uh, parents are very supportive, always. So, yeah, but after that, um, how I got into these other musics, particularly uh, like, that, that came later, um... Because I had been going to school in this uh, small town, Carbonea. Uh, I'd never taken any lessons with anybody. It was just all to listening. Um, but it was through one teacher that I did eventually get. His name was Don Weary. And he was a phenomenal um, artist, human being. He created a, he created a festival in St. John's Newfoundland back in the early 80s, which is still going on. That's called the Sound Symposium. And that would bring musicians and artists and dancers and creators from all the different genres and disciplines together to improvise, to create new music. Um, you know, unprecedented in Canada, even at that time, this kind of festival. So he was the pioneer of that. And that grew over the years to include a lot of world music and musicians all over the world that would come and mix in the same context. So it was through him that I got exposed to a master drummer from West Africa, Ghana, who came to the festival for a couple of weeks. And I got to uh, play with him, rehearse with him, and, you know, move around with him a lot. And uh, after that first rehearsal, meeting him, his name was Kwasi Duno, 
after that, my mind was blown open and I knew I had to go source that music, which I, I did the following summer. Um, I went to his village uh, for a couple of months and I continued to go to that community 20 odd years later. So that's how I got into that kind of music, uh, West African music and dance. And then related to uh, Don Wary, Don also suggested that I go to uh, York University. I was contemplating going to music school and he said, oh, you belong in this place, York. I was like, okay, what's that? So I went, applied, got accepted, and went there. And when I went there, I first saw and heard the Madanga. So the Madanga is, is the Sardinian percussion instrument that's most uh, prevalent. And the person playing it was my eventual guru, Trichy Shankaran, who was coming to this concert in Vancouver. So that's where I first saw him. And when I heard that and what he does, that was another mind-blowing moment, which I didn't know what to do with myself, because it was like, as a drummer, what he does with time and rhythm is something I'd never heard before. And it was kind of scary, because it was like something I knew I wanted to gravitate towards, but I knew it would need a lot of dedication, so something would have to be left behind. Uh, so I was like, oh, I can't go close to that just yet, because I was at York to study jazz, actually. Anyways, a couple of years later, like the following year, I finally connected with Tlitsch uh, Shankaran as a student and then finally left studying jazz and devoted myself to the Mardangam for the, the initial few years. And then left Toronto and when I graduated, came back to Newfoundland and then a whole bunch of other stuff started happening. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so music has always been so important to you from a young age, right? So. There's a sentence in your website that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, music as a career is second to music as a vehicle for growth and exploration. Can you tell me it a little is, bit about uh, that? What does music uh, mean to you? How has it shaped the person you are today? Just on a very personal level, music and what it does for me, like I don't know if I could do anything else <laughs> with my time or my activities or my life. Music is what I've known uh, mostly. Um, so I don't even think of it as a career as such. It's what I do. I do make money from it, but I don't do it to make money from it. You know, the career aspect is by circumstance because that's what I want to be doing. So it's not like I started out with the idea of like, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, point A, point B, point Z. No, it's just been me following my creative uh, interests and everything else that came up around that uh, luckily have been able to support me uh, thus far. Um, it is difficult though. So I don't, uh, you know, go into a lot of my music activities with, um, in terms of chasing fame or a big name or getting a hit song or getting a million Spotify listeners or this, you know, that kind of, that's not the goal. Um, so I, my relationship to it is more of a, like it's my journey that I'm on, right? That's not something that I'm going to stop mm-hmm. when I realize, oh, I'm not a, a famous, you know, pop star. No, it's not, it's not <laughs> that kind of uh, relationship I have to it, right? So yeah, I'll be doing this um, until I can't anymore, you know, which hopefully is not anytime soon. And through music, I've, and everything that I've learned and who I've met over these years, all these travels and all the collaborations, you know, that's enriched my life immensely, um, made me learn so much about, you know, humanity and, and different cultures and how I can uh, be in the world myself, you know. Um, and that's, that's beyond music. Yeah, that's beyond music. That's just the, the person and relating to other people. So. Yeah. Your music is, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Did you find that there was a big gap of this kind of genre in Canada when you started making this kind of music? Yes and no. There's been always been sort of what we call world music or intercultural music uh, happening in Canada for a long time. It's never been popular. Uh, in the 90s, perhaps, it became more popular as a, oh, globally, these kind of world musics or, or you know, um, musics that are of places that are not well-known, I guess, to the mainstream of Canada, for lack of a better description. But when I, what I make depends on what, what I'm referring to, but in terms of my original music, there's I don't hear much music that sounds like that because that's why I'm making it. I want to make music that I, I enjoy or sounds I hear coming together or influences that I have coming together. 
uh, and did not many people that I know anyways have the experiences I have uh, in terms of intense study of these these seemingly unrelated uh, musics, music from South India, music from West Africa, music from Zimbabwe, jazz. It's not a common mix. So I try and, uh, you know, bring those together as tastefully and as truthfully to the, the original inspiration as possible. But it will be different because it'll be through me. Mm-hmm. And there's only, there's only one me. <laughs> 